From The Conversation, this is Politics with Michelle Grattan, a podcast where we hear from politicians and experts on the issues of the day. The problems in Alice Springs and the Northern Territory more generally are back in the news. Peter Dutton last week was in Alice Springs asserting widespread child sexual abuse existed. He was quickly under attack from the government and from others who accused him of politicking in the wake of the Liberals' decision to oppose the Indigenous voice to Parliament. Marion Scrimgore, a former Deputy Chief Minister in the Northern Territory, is the Federal Labor Member for the seat of Lingiari. Her electorate covers almost all of the Northern Territory outside Darwin. She's critical of Dutton, but she's also forthright about the problems in Alice Springs and in Indigenous communities more generally. Marion Scrimgore joins us today. Marion Scrimgore, you've accused Peter Dutton of blurring child neglect and child sexual abuse. Can you describe the situation as you observe it? Look, I've you know this has been when I've had a look, um, and I've lived I've been in Alice now for uh, just over two years. But all of the work that I've done in the Northern Territory, Michelle, whether it was a as a former minister, but member of the Northern Territory Parliament, but also in in all of the roles that I've played since stepping out of Parliament for a while, I've often come to Alice Springs on and off over over many years. So familiar with with Alice Springs, it's probably the last two years, two and a bit years uh, living here since uh, before the election, and now since the election, I've I've set up home down here. The, <laughs> There's there's some critical issues facing Alice Springs, and there's the issue of youth on the on the street, and and then there's the issue of youth crime. So children, quite separately from some of these kids that are on the street, that were doing the wrong thing and and stealing cars and and doing a lot of damage. And one of the the frightful parts of that, Michelle, was that one of these kids was going to get killed or get hurt. Then there's the issue of child protection and the increasing numbers of child neglect. And I have no doubt the the work that gets done by child protection workers, that there are a lot of people committed to try and deal with this issue. But I think that what we're seeing and, and what's been emerging over the last 10 years is this issue of people moving from remote Aboriginal communities and coming into uh, urban centres, so setting up these fringe camps um, on the edges of these town camps and then creating problems within those town camp communities. Now, that's been coming for some time. So I think the last five to six years, there's been some real issues in and around Alice and, and throughout the Northern Territory. I think whilst... You know, the peaks goes up and down and, and often something will happen and then it becomes an issue and people talk about it. It's the same as, you know, a woman gets killed and then everyone talks about it and then things die down and then we move on to the next next story. And I think there has been, you know, I think over the last five to six years, these issues have started becoming a big issue. Um, I was just looking back, Michelle, when looking at the Family Responsibility Commission 
and all of these issues and Peter Dutton's comments about child sexual abuse. And then having a look at, I've gone back over some of the correspondence and, and documents I've still got from uh, those same accusations that were said at the start of the intervention back in 2008-9. And the same campaign uh, that was done um, to justify the intervention is the same campaign that, that's been happening uh, with you know the the leader of the opposition. Now I'm you know, I'm not saying that he doesn't have a commitment to getting this issue dealt with, but I think that um, you know I, I I think if there were and I don't wear the excuse for neither Peter Dutton or Jacinda Price or anyone else who says. Well, he can't put the names forward of the people who are telling him these stories. Um, that's a complete abrogation of their responsibility. Those stories and the names of people putting forward those stories could be done in a confidential way. And I know that that's happened over many years where people have put forward complaints and they've been treated, and there have been many whistleblowers in this as well, um, Michelle, in the Northern Territory when these things have happened. And and people don't get you know, prosecuted or, or, if anything, their evidence is kept confidential because if you want, if you want to get the perpetrator prosecuted and through a court system, you've got to do this in a methodical, you know, in a confidential way, and you've got to gather the evidence. And to do that, you do need the information. So I was, you know, and I've said this twice, and I said this on the floor of the federal parliament, um, everyone needs to stop, you know, we can all play politics with this, but at the end of the day, we're still seeing kids fall through the gaps and families, um, you know, not taking responsible, you know, taking and being responsible for this. Um, and, you know, it, it, then another story comes along and we, we forget about what's happening and, and we've got to stop doing this because I think our young children and some of our families are doing it really tough and they need the support to, to work through that. So, you know, I think that the Leader of the Opposition, including Jacinta, I think need to do the right thing and I know he can't put those names on the table or deal with them, but they can be dealt with in a confidential way because we can't have this abuse going on if that's what's happening. Do you think, though, he's exaggerating the problem? If you look at the data, and I've seen it, um, just getting around the territory, there are a lot of children and young people that fall in the category of neglect. Now, we need to unpack that because what is at the heart of this neglect? Is it because the mum and dad have taken off from that community and they're in the long grass or sleeping rough in Darwin and they're drinking and, you know, the, so their money's going on grog and drugs and everything else except, you know, for the child that they should, you know, they get paid for. Or is it because it's a child that has been born underweight and is failing to thrive and that's, that's where clinics are required, so health centres, hospitals, 
record when a child is you know underweight and and failing to thrive there's a whole number of reporting categories that come into the area of child neglect but it's what happens with those children over a set time so the department and the and and it's not just child protection the health department and the department and if it's an aboriginal community control clinic everyone monitors that young person but you've got to get to a point that if that child's circumstance hasn't improved, then a report of neglect is then recorded and that involves then a different level of case management. And when that doesn't occur, Michelle, that's when often young kids, young, young people, um, and often children in these communities, and that's what I said, have been at risk of sexual abuse. Um, and there have been cases in the Northern Territory where that has occurred. Some critics claim that cultural rights are being put ahead of children's human rights to the children's disadvantage. Do you think there's any justification in that criticism? No, look, I've seen I've seen in communities where mothers, grandmothers, fathers, and grandfathers have you know been absolutely the opposite. I have never seen you know a child that's been put at risk that you know that family would turn away because of cultural you know implications. I have seen in a domestic violence situation where sometimes the victim is is put in a you know a situation where both sides of the family will put pressure on that woman but I've never seen it in the child protection area there used to be a real culture of silence along to, you know in the in the northern territory Michelle and I think the Little Children Are Sacred report actually lifted the lid on that where a lot of communities and particularly mothers and grandmothers, everyone everyone says it's not this is not okay and we need to talk about this issue. Because for a long time I think people thought, Oh well we can't talk about this and a lot of this was reinforced, particularly with suicides in the Northern Territory, where people think Oh, people don't want to talk about someone that's just died by suicide when talking about it needed to be part of the postvention, you know, work that, that had to be done with those communities. But I have not seen culture being used as a means to silence or to stop uh, or to cover up child abuse or child sexual abuse. Uh, particularly in the areas that I've worked in, Michelle. I, I haven't seen it. There may be cases, and if there is, then that should be dealt with. Um, and I don't think anyone should be silent. Um, and we should never use culture as a means of, of covering up. Now, you've proposed a Family Responsibility Commission along the lines of a body that uh, exists in Queensland. How would this work and how would it differ from what happens in the Territory at the moment? Yeah, look, I think um, I've, I've had a look at the Family Responsibility Commission 
um, for a long time over in, in Queensland. And I started looking at this, particularly in the Northern Territory with the intervention I had written to Jenny Macklin in 2011 um, as, a, as a possible solution to looking at some of the issues that we were seeing through the, you know, that had emerged through the Little Children a Sacred Report. Um, and then that, that certainly, you know, that wasn't supported then. And I think it was early days because they were still trialling that and, and it was early days in Queensland. So I accepted that that was early days, but it's been operating now for some time. I know that there hasn't been um, any sort of evaluation or review, but what I'm, I've looked at the legislation, um, I'm looking forward to talking to the Queensland Minister, um, Cape York Institute, but also the Family Responsibility Commission. So I'm, I'm trying to set up some meetings and discussions with uh, the three parties to that to try and get a sense of how do we pull this together for the Northern Territory? Because I'm not going to let this go, Michelle. I think we've got to, even if people don't agree with me, it's, it's one, you know, I've put this on the table for everyone to look at. And if anyone's got anything better um, or they have some solution to, to this issue, then uh, let's talk about it. But we, we've got to stop this continual handballing and pointing of fingers because nothing gets resolved for these families, let alone these young people uh, that are falling through the, you know, through the gaps here. So how would it work? Look, I, it, it would, so the Family Responsibility Commission would be the same as in Queensland where it's a statutory body. I think that the important part of the Family Responsibility Commission is that it's Aboriginal community controlled, that you get Aboriginal people, Aboriginal leaders that, are vet, that go through a vetting process. So you don't have the accusations of, you know, oh, these people are this person's family member and they'll stop this. So as I understand, there's been a whole vetting and working through of this process in Queensland and they've overcome a lot of that. And I think that we can work through those same issues here. So you'd have a statutory body. You'd need to have, you know, I suppose officers throughout the Northern Territory. But we could start this off in Alice Springs because that's where the increased numbers are happening. And then you could, you know, certainly integrate it throughout the rest of the Northern Territory. But it, it would need to be a statutory body separate from government because I think if it's part of government, it won't work and it has to be a statutory body that sits separately. And how would it actually operate? The families are brought before the commission. So if their child, they look at school attendance, they look at all of the well-being of the child is critical as part of the assessment. But also what are the supports that the family needs you know, to, to be wrapped around. Then when they're brought to a family counselling, similar to, I suppose, I'm not sure whether this works in the family court, but then the family has to sign a family responsibility agreement. And then those agreements uh, get entered into by both the commissioner who has legal standing as well as the family. 
A while ago, the Albanese government announced a plan to address violence against women, and it promised that there'd be a, a special plan for Indigenous women. Where is that up to now? So, as I understand, so there's an advisory council that's been put in place that provides advice directly through to Minister Rishworth. The advisory council has people like Professor Sandra Creamer, who I've got a lot of respect for, has been around a long time. Uh, Muriel Bamblett, who's um, with Barcho, but also the chair of SNAKE. Uh, Sherlyn Campbell, who lives here in Alice Springs, she's the coordinator of the Tungunjia Women's Family Safety Group. Emily Carter from over in Western Australia, people who have been at the coalface and wor working, you know, with these issues. There's also a couple of men on that because what everyone's recognising in this is that you can't keep women and, and children safe if we don't also deal with and change men's behaviour and include men as part of the solution going forward. So they're working on the draft plan. I've been told that they're specifically looking at target 13 of closing the gap. That's about the only bit of information I've got. So I'm looking forward to seeing when that draft plan is coming out but I'm certainly looking forward to seeing the end result of that but I've been told by the Minister's office that there's been a whole lot of discussion and work and when I look at all the individuals that are involved um, I think it's in good hands Michelle. Now, crossbench Senator Jackie Lambie has been urging the reinstatement of the old Community Development Employment Projects Program, which gave work to Indigenous people in their own communities. Would you support that reinstatement and could that work assist with, for example, training tradespeople in their local areas and indeed maintaining houses and even building houses. Absolutely, Michelle. That was um, one of the, you know, commitments I took to the last election was to reinstate the old CDP. And when when both Minister Burney, myself and Assistant Minister McCarthy went around, you know, a lot of the bush communities before the election and talked about this issue, that was the one issue that all communities applauded. Now, we need to get beyond talking about this, you know, and the old CDP and people getting jobs and training and, you know, that they can feel good about participating in their economies and their communities and actually get this program rolled out. I agree with Jackie Lammy. This is a program that was in the Northern Territory almost 15 years ago. Everyone in, in a lot of the communities were employed and communities were happy and healthy and we need to hurry up and do it because all my trips out bush and when I'm getting around the regions everyone asks about CDP so we need to move on that. Have you spoken to uh, the ministers, uh, Minister Burney, about this? Yeah and look her department is developing and working through the policy that we took to the last election in terms of reinstating CDP. Um, what Minister Burney is having to work with is that the former government 
um, or the former minister, so Ken Wyatt, had signed all of the CDP, so their program, um, agreements were signed off and those agreements are still in play, I think, for another six to 12 months. And we won't be able to bring the new CDP. So some of it's being reintegrated now where we can, but there are certainly a lot of agreements that have been tied up that I think uh, Minister Burney is working through with her department to, you know, change the way and bring back that employment program because it did work, Michelle. I want to turn finally to the question of the voice. What sort of support are you hearing for the voice in Indigenous communities and is there any significant opposition in those communities? Yeah, look, you, you've got people who have got different views in, you know, a lot of the communities and I've just come back from my own community on the on the Tiwi Islands, Michelle, and there was some great discussion and support for the voice but before that support came people needed to know about it so you know i stepped through i i said to them that they're going to be you know there'll be two people you know different parties coming and talking to them one will be no and the reason why i said and i'm not going to talk about that i said but i'm here to talk to you about yes and the reason why we need to have it And look, when we talk through, you know, talking through with some of the communities and once they understand and they they grasp the, you know, and so often I go to the point of, if you have a look at different policies and, you know, the intervention and what happened in the Northern Territory governments, whether it's Northern Territory, whether it's Commonwealth, you know, all of these policies, if you had an opportunity to say, to government or to ministers or to the parliament you know would you want would you want to be part of this the big question people often ask there was some discussion yesterday a lot of people want to know okay if we have a local and regional body how do those bodies then go into the you know into the national voice so land council there was land council representatives there there was representatives from the local government council when you say to them well if you look at both of your bodies and you're both at a local and regional level why can't there be representatives that get elected to go into this that's the process we need to work through and i know i've said to them that parliament why if the referendum is successful then parliament will will then shape what that voice will be but we still need to go back. So my own mob said to me yesterday, whilst we're working through this, we want you to come back again because we need to have more discussion about this. That's happening right throughout all of the communities, Michelle. People are saying, can you come back again? Because we just don't want one meeting and then it's forgotten about. We want to keep talking about this. So were they asking how it would work? You're, you're saying they want to know how... Yeah, so people have seen on TV and they've asked about, oh, but these mob are saying this and, you know, with this. So they're using that as the discussion to talk about, well, how's this going to make a difference for me on the island? And are we going to be able to make decisions about housing and health and, you know, 
will government listen to us it will you know when we get to that point so i think it's great to get out and and that's the part that i'm enjoying that you know it's not part of the bigger groups going around australia but just around in my electorate and talking to people i think which is what matters and listening and talking through with my constituents i think is is really important so if you had to sum it up from your discussions about the voice uh, with those people what would you say their mood was were they confused or were they optimistic or were they excited about it did they think this was something that would be different from such bodies in the past what was their what was the vibe as it were the the vibe was really good look i i found the vibe really really interesting yesterday it was it was good there were people who uh, wasn't convinced, um, but people who sort of didn't understand it. And then when I talked about what was different about constitutional recognition and how that would apply, it generated the discussion about ATSIC because a lot of communities still remember ATSIC and often people talk about ATSIC and they say, but they got rid of ATSIC and that was our voice. And so it then generates another discussion about, but this voice won't be able to got rid of like ATSIC because it'll be embedded in the constitution. You can see people feel really good about that because I know that there were problems with ATSIC nationally, there were issues, but in the Northern Territory, people had real ownership of ATSIC. And people remember the disbandment of ATSIC. And, and I think that's been part of the, the problem as well, Michelle, in the landscape of the Northern Territory, because ATSIC did play an important role in the Northern Territory. I thought that at the end of the meeting, people were really, were not enthusiastic, but hopeful that this could be a process, you know, going forward. There was, you know, Francis Saviour, who was, an ex-CLP member. I, I tried to look for him yesterday when I was out on the island to try and have a discussion with him. But his brother, his older brother, was at this meeting yesterday. And a lot of the land council men, you know, sort of stood up and said, oh, well, we don't agree with what you're saying. We think that we've just got to talk about this and, you know, this needs to, this is a good thing. Let, let, let's talk about how this could be a something that we can all get behind. So I'm going to set another time where I can go back and sit down with my mob and, and go through it, but I'll do that with all the communities. Michelle, I'm about to go to Catherine. I'll do, you know, the Plenty Highway and get out and talk to the Walpuri and, and Aliwara people. There's there's a lot of communities in, in my patch of the woods. So people are a bit, you know, there, there is confusion out there, but... I'm hoping that we can get out and just talk about this and, and, and go through with people, you know, what it is and what is this voice and, and how do you think it'll work and allow people the opportunity to, to express themselves too and, and to, to gauge their mood and their sentiment about this. But I thought people were really good yesterday and, and, and for me that was, that was important. Well, you've obviously got a big task and a lot of travelling ahead. 
Marion Scrimgore, thank you so much for talking with the podcast today. That's all for this Conversation Politics podcast. We'll be back with you again soon. Thank you to my producer, Mikey Burnett. Goodbye for now. Our theme music is by Lee Rosevere. You can find more podcasts from The Conversation on our website at theconversation.com.